morning. Good to see you guys. Can we see? Can we actually see? Nope. These are called the French fry lights. It just keeps you warm until the next come around. But hey, good morning. We're really glad you're here. Welcome to the Porch Community Church. I'm Shannon, and uh, we're just really glad you're here today. If you happen to be a first-timer, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello to those watching us online or watching later on. Um, we're just glad that you're part of today's experience together. I've got some folks with me up here that I'm really excited to introduce to you. You might already know them, but it's uh, Michael and Paige and Shannon Hobbs, Michael and Shannon, and uh, Sweet Paige right here. And we're really glad because they are here this morning to partner in ministry with us here at the Porch Community Church. So uh, we ask two questions. The one very most important question is, are you followers of Jesus Christ? Yes, so that's the good answer, right? And then the next thing we say is, okay, so you're followers of Jesus. You've been here. You've been a part of ministry. You've been here. Um, so as a partner in ministry, will you continue to be here? Will you offer your gifts? Will you offer uh, the ways that God has worked in your life? Will you share that with your church? Will you do your part um, to share Jesus with our community? Will you do that? Yeah. Well, then you guys, will you welcome in the Hobbs family into our church family this morning. Wasn't too difficult, was it? Not too bad, not too bad. So, um, we are in week six of this series called The Gospel According to Genesis, and I want you to buckle up today because we're going to fly through some uh, parts of Genesis together. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 25. That's where our main uh, passage is, and then we're using as the jumping off point to look at the life of Jacob. Now, Jacob is one of the sons of Isaac, who Justin shared with us last week about Abraham and Isaac and Abraham's relationship with God and, and uh, his relationship with Isaac. And so now we're forward in the story where Isaac has uh, he's gotten married and he has twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was born first and then Jacob came right after. And something significant to note about that is even though they were twins, one was born first, and most especially in this culture and, and, and what the, the purposes were of, of you know, inheritance and land and all that stuff, the firstborn was the one that got it. And so even if it was just a minute later, Esau was first and then Jacob. So just important to note that. Um, so we're going to start in 25, and then we're going to look at several other chapters. And so... Um, write them down if you want to, but we have the, the sermon, the message notes, and like a study guide that if you want to get online later, you can just go to theporchcc.com, click message notes, study guide, and it's all right there for you to look at. But we're going we're gonna to go through this. So, All right, um, starting in verse 27 of Genesis 25, and now the, the twins are older, okay, is where we pick up, and it says this. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. I love how this is written here. It's just so funny to me. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. So there you go. That's how you win the love of your father. But Rebekah loved Jacob. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, all right, I'm sure he didn't say this like, dearest brother, 
right? We I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. Okay, that's how he said it. All right, I'm just going to say it. And then, so verse 31, here's Jacob's response. He says, all right. all right. Again, not like, yes, my dear brother, I would be more than happy to share the bounty that I had. No, he didn't do that. He says, all right, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Okay. And then, so here's the response in verse 32. Look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? All right, so he didn't care. He's like, I need food now. Okay, this is what Esau's saying. And so Jacob's like, all right, but first you must swear that your birthright is mine. I mean, you can just see this playing out, okay? And so Esau swears an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then he got up and left. And then it says this, he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. So it meant, like, in, in what he did, he was basically saying, I don't care about the rights of the firstborn, I don't care about the inheritance, I don't care about the importance of it all, right? So here's what you find in this passage, okay? You can see the underlying animosity, rivalry, jealousy between these two. It's, it's very evident in this relationship. And I think parents that have that have children that are more than one child, right? Like they, they have children that are, you know, siblings. You're probably not really surprised by this exchange going on here between between these two, right? Like this is not like this is nothing new. Any opportunity for the younger to kind of get something over on the older, you're gonna take it. Okay, any opportunity for the older to demand something of the younger. I remember my brother, he's older than me, five years older than me, and he would do this trick on me, which of course then I handed down to my younger sister, but he would be like, hey Shannon, I got a great idea. I'm going to time you and see how long it takes to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for me. Ready? Go. And I'd be like, okay, you know, and I'd run in the kitchen and make a sandwich like I was an idiot, like I was dumb. He, he got it over, but then I did it to my sister Bridget, so it's okay. Um, but this is how, like, this sibling thing is going on, all right? Here's what I want to point out. This exchange here in Genesis 25 over a bowl of stew with his brother Esau is the beginning of a terrible trend for Jacob because his life was defined by broken relationships. His life was defined by broken relationships, and that's really what I want us to talk about today. And we're going to look at, which is why I said we're going to jump through quite a bit of scripture, we're going to look at seven different broken relationships that Jacob had or that were caused because Jacob was involved. His life was defined by broken relationships. So I'm going to give a quick overview of, you know, cliff notes. Do they still make cliff notes? It's called the internet, Shannon. I'm not, but I don't, do they still do that? I don't know. Okay. Yes. Thank you. But it's still called the internet. Um. <laughs> All right, so here's some Cliff's notes of Jacob's broken relationships. And then what I want to do, okay, after we look at these, I want to bring it much, much closer to home. And I want us to use scripture as a mirror today and see how we're doing with our relationships. All right, but let's look at the ones that Jacob had first. Before we pick on ourselves, let's pick on Jacob. All right, so I would tell you the verses, but it's, it's the entire chapter of Genesis 27, okay? So Genesis 27, the whole chapter, it describes how Jacob 
uh, tricks his father Isaac, who is now blind. He and his mom, uh, Jacob and his mom, trick Isaac into giving him the inheritance, the inheritance blessing that was reserved for the firstborn, that was reserved for Esau. And so uh, when Esau finds this out, he's obviously beyond angry, and he does what any older brother would want to do when his younger brother has hurt him. He plots his murder, okay? And so he does this, and so we start out here ready with one broken relationship, Esau and Jacob. Now, not only is Esau angry and like plotting to kill his brother, but in verse 33 of chapter 27, it describes Isaac as shaking with uncontrollable rage. He is so angry at what has happened. So now we've got two broken relationships. So Jacob's mom learns that Esau is plotting to kill her favorite son, and so uh, what she does is she goes to Jacob. She's like throwing a bag together. She's like, look, you've got to get out of here. Your brother's going to kill you. You need to go far away. Do not come back. Go find a wife. Make a life. But if you come back here, your brother's going to kill you. And so Jacob leaves. Here's the deal. Jacob's mother dies. And so he never sees her again. Three broken relationships. So now, this is important to note because not only are we going to talk about brokenness today, but we're also going to talk about boundaries. Um, suddenly, a boundary has been established between Jacob and Esau. It's not a visible boundary. They didn't set up stones or anything like that. There's not a fence. But an, a boundary was created that day because Jacob cannot return home because of his actions or he will die. He'll be killed. And so a boundary is set up that day. So we've got three broken relationships and one boundary. Now, going forward into Genesis 29, Jacob meets a girl named Rachel, and he's like, I want to marry her, okay? Um, and he gets duped by this girl's dad to marry, actually, her older sister first, Leah. And so he ends up having to work a total of 14 years in order to earn the hand of Rachel in marriage. But now he's got two wives, and shocking news, the wives, the sisters, don't like being married to the same man. I mean, who would have thought that would be weird? I don't know. And then they start this really crazy thing. It's like they start this like hate birthing. Like They start this birth off where they want to have the most children. Like they start like they're trying to have the most children to earn Jacob's love, to earn his attention and his affection. I think they were earning enough affection because they were having a whole lot of kids. And so ha this is going on. And so now there's this animosity between these sisters. So now we have four broken relationships. Now, going forward into Genesis chapter 31... Uh, to get out of his father-in-law's control because he was definitely a controlling guy. And you see how he kind of he duped Jacob into marrying the older sister first and they were all living there. To, he, just, they want, he wanted to get out of his control. So Jacob decides to take his wives and all his children and everything that he had acquired because it had been a couple of years, okay? Cattle, just everything. They decide to sneak away, not tell the father-in-law, just sneak away and go start another life. And so while they're getting ready to do this, Rachel, right, Jacob's wife, daughter, uh, the, the daughter of Laban, the, the controlling father-in-law, she steals something from her dad, and then they all go on their way. Well, so father-in-law finds out, 
chases them down, confronts them about, about leaving and about stealing, and they deny stealing. They deny it. They just lie right there. So now we've got five and six broken relationships because Jacob's broken his relationship with his father-in-law, and now Rachel has broken her relationship with her dad by lying to him. All right? Six broken relationships and one boundary, but here we go. Here's a second boundary. This one's actually visible. The father-in-law Laban and Jacob on that spot decide from this day forward, you'll take this kind of cattle and I'll take this kind of cattle and we'll separate it all and you'll, you'll take these things and I'll take these things. And they set up a, a, a marker to, to signify the boundary and they said, we will not go into yours, you will not go into ours and forevermore we will be apart. Now there was a little bit of, a little bit of reconciliation, but a boundary was created that day. Okay, so we've got six broken relationships that have occurred and two boundaries. Now, Genesis 32. After years of being separated, as Jacob and his family leave and they go off and, and not crossing that boundary anymore, who do they encounter but Esau's family? They encounter his brother who wants to kill him, or he used to want to right? They encounter his family. The family tells Esau. Esau comes. They meet, and I'm sure Jacob's a little bit freaked out, but Esau's actually very pleased to meet him. Like, he's at peace. He's happy to see his brother, and he offers to Jacob, hey, come back to the land that's yours. It's our family's. Come back. Set up your family amongst us, near us, and, and everything will be great. Let's, let's, let's restore this, right? Here's the deal. Jacob only knows broken relationships. That's all he knows. That's all he, know. he knows broken relationships and deception. And so what does he say to Esau? He goes, sounds great, brother. I'll be right there. Got to get myself together, and we'll be on our way. So Esau gets his people, and they start heading back home, and Jacob and his family go in a different direction. They never go. They never go back. And so he deceives his brother once again. Seven broken relationships. Jacob's life was defined by broken relationships. His life was defined by invisible and visible boundaries. And so here's the question I, wanna, I want us to, to bring this closer to home, and I want us to take God's word. So we see the examples here in, in Genesis. We're going to look at a couple of verses in uh, the gospel in the New Testament as well. And I want this to be a mirror for us. Okay, that's, that's what scripture is for, is for us to examine our lives. And so here's the first question I want to ask you. Um, do you get it when I say broken relationships? Like, do you, do you get that? Like, do you understand what I'm talking about? Like, when I mention having, you know, setting up some boundaries with people, right? Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, like, maybe you think something like, you know what, this happened to me, and I'm not going any farther with that. Like, that's not going to happen with that person ever again. And so you, you have this broken relationship, and then you set up a boundary, right? Or maybe it's you know, very similarly, like, because they've done this, I'm not doing that anymore. So, you know, there it is, brokenness and boundary. Or you know what? <laughs> now, it might be something like, I'm ashamed of what I did, so I'm not going back there. Okay, let's not just always make it about other people hurting us, all right? So we set up their brokenness, and there's a boundary. Or, and this one, hmm, 
You might lie to yourself and rebrand your shame as blame and place it on someone else and make it their fault. So there's brokenness, and then you set up a boundary. There are so many ways that we experience brokenness in relationships and that boundaries are built. I'm, I'm not going to ask you how many, how much like unfriending and unfollowing and, and snoozing for 30 days and canceling that you've done in just the last six months alone. I'm not going to ask you, and I'm not going to tell you how much I've done either. So, but, but I, want, I do want to make this distinction, okay? I want to make this distinction. There is a big difference between being offended or disagreeing. There's a big difference between that versus being legitimately hurt in relationship. But it seems that we get those mixed up. Seems like we get these mixed up a bit. Like we get offended and we call it hurt. And so we have boundaries set up. I'm not, I don't like them anymore, right? We disagree and we call it, well, you've hurt me. And so we sever connections, right? We, we just, we cancel, you know, the whole cancel thing, that's been going on for a couple of years now. And honestly, when you think about it now, I think Jacob was like the first one that really started the whole cancel culture thing because he's just like canceling, canceling, like he's just constantly breaking relationships. But, you know, what, what does that mean? Like, why do we do that? Why do we dismiss something or somebody? Why do we reject an individual or reject an idea? Why do we do that? And, and I think for some of us, like, we, we, we think our lives will, you know what, my life will be better if, I, if I'm done with that, if I reject that person or reject that idea or that conversation. I, my life will be better if I if I'm, just don't even see what they're posting or if I unfollow them or unfriend them, you know, or that idea of, you know, kind of like, I'm just going to circle my wagons, right? I'm just going to I'm going to tighten the boundaries of my life, and I'm just going to have those people right here with me that we completely, uh, everything works all the time, and it's always perfect. Let me know where that is. I would like to visit it. Where's that place? But it's funny, because it's like we try to construct this, don't we? We try to, we try to build this. Where is that place? Where's this place of perfection where everybody always agrees and never hurts each other's feelings and always gets along? Where's that place? Does anyone have like the coordinates? Can you just like drop a pen and send it to me? I want to go there. Because, okay, stop and think about this. And this like, as I was working on this, I think it was not this last week, but the week before, it just, it punched me in the gut like, Think about this. What if every person you have ever offended or disagreed with or actually legitimately hurt, what if every person, whether intentionally or unintentionally, okay, what if every person you've ever hurt set up a boundary against you and said, no more? How small would your world be? How minuscule would like the landscape of your life look? Like, what would it be if people just did that every time? Every time there was just a little bit of uncomfortableness, a little bit of brokenness, and they said, no more. Every person, every time. How small would it be? And so I, I would, I, let's use a mirror, right? We're going to use this as a mirror. Is that what you're doing? 
Have you been setting up boundaries? Have you been breaking connection with people over really small, small things? And I'm not trying to minimize hurt. I'm not trying to minimize pain and and, and like that, that brokenness that's deep inside our soul. Because I will say this, and please hear me on this. If a relationship is toxic, or it's abusive, or it's just it's harmful to you, you need to set a very big boundary, and you do need to run far away. All right? But for most of the relationships that we are in on a regular basis... They just, it's usually just uncomfortable moments, right? It's just disagreements or misunderstandings. And we can't let these occasional, yet very predictable, because none of us are perfect, we can't let these, these hurts of doing life with other flawed people, we can't let that define the, the, the landscape of our life. I think about the landscape of Jacob's life, and it was... It was just small, and it was always like new because he was always having to leave. And so instead, what we do is we need to let Jesus be the one who establishes like, the wide open landscape of our life. Listen, you're going to continue to get hurt by people. It's not going to stop, right? Groups of people, organizations, the church... Hobbs family, I hate to break it to you, but the church you partnered with today, we're probably going to hurt you. I'm probably, if you, like, it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. And so maybe you're thinking, oh, good, we joined the right church because we're not perfect either. So that's great, you know. But, like, this is how it is. And so I, I want to, I want to say this. None of us have reached perfection. And here's the real question. Here's, here's what I'm posing to you. Allow the, the scripture to be a mirror in front of you right now and hear this, okay? The real question is whether or not we're going to be honest about when we get hurt or when we've caused the hurt. Okay, Are we going to get honest about that and address it with the person? Or are we going to let that moment of brokenness be the reason that we sneak away, never face it, unfollow, cancel, and we just go on down the road, most likely setting ourselves up for more broken relationships and unnecessary boundary building. That's the real question. And the gospel has the answer to what is happening with Jacob in Genesis. And it's an answer for you and me as well. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it's, it's kind of a well-known passage regarding how to deal with, with conflict within the church. But listen to the, just verse 15. This is the answer, Jesus' answer to what happens when things are broken. And he says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. That's reconciliation. But how many of us practice Matthew 18, 15? Like how, how many of us actually put this into practice? There is opportunity for reconciliation 
and redemption in most relationships. There's opportunity for reconciliation and redemption in most relationships. I would add to that, there's the opportunity for repentance and forgiveness in most relationships. But you know what we do? We reverse that. For a lot of us, our mentality is the opposite of that. We think there's not the opportunity for reconciliation and redemption in most relationships. It's almost like a unicorn to, if to go, oh, this can actually be repaired. We reverse it and we go, you know what, there's not the opportunity for repentance and forgiveness in most relationships, so I'm just going to break it, I'm going to build my boundary, I'm going to go on about my business. And so if all we know how to do is run and set boundaries like Jacob did, your world is going to get very, very small. I want to get real transparent with you guys. If I set up a boundary, every time I've been hurt, just since we've started the Porch Community Church, I would be in a very small space. I have uh, I've cried more tears and experienced more frustration and more hurt in the 20 months that we have been a church than in the previous 20 years that I've been in ministry. Now, I know that some of that just has to do with the responsibility of leadership, and I get that. But launching a church, it comes with an emotional and a spiritual and a, rela- and a relational cost. And, and the reason for that, I think, is because people have all sorts of expectations of what the new church should be and how it should be carried out. Leading through a pandemic and then add into the the political and the racial divide that became just this chasm that seemingly is like too great to bridge was and is ridiculously hard. And I think that's why that is is because people have all sorts of expectations about how I should address those things from standing right here on this white X that's on the stage. I had lunch with a good friend from out of town a few weeks ago, um, and she asked me just how things were going, and I, and I shared with her some of the brokenness and the boundaries that I've experienced, um, some of which I've felt and some of which I've caused. And um, she asked this question. It was really simple, but it, it was very profound. And, and I don't mean to say this to sound like a pity party. I just want you to understand like, where, where my head was in this. And she said, do you think sometimes people forget that you're human too and they don't offer a lot of grace to you? And it, it may, y'all made me tear up. And I was like, yes, absolutely, I feel that. What do you do when you feel that? What do you do when you, when you, when you feel that? I, because the options are, from what I understand, is I can either shrink away from relationships or 
I can go, you know what? I know I need grace and I need forgiveness and I need to practice humility. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to offer grace and forgiveness and humility, right? I can either put up invisible or visible boundaries and try to operate on a much, much smaller landscape of, of life. That's what I could do. Or I could go up, I could declare like, no, 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 no. I'm going to live in the freedom that God has given me in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to let someone else or my own self define the landscape of my life by boundaries and brokenness. That's not what Jesus came to do. This isn't what he came to set up for me to live a life of restriction, to live a life of small, to do that. No, no, no. There's because God is, yeah, there's been hurt and tears and frustrations, but, but God has, there's an incredible move of God going on, and people are saying yes to Jesus, and people are being reconciled to one another, and being baptized in the name of Jesus, and families are stronger, and I'm seeing marriages that are better, and, and kids, and young adults, and students, and, and adults, and, and parents, and grandparents, and my goodness, are, are leaning more in intentionally into relationship with God. I'm seeing this, and I'm seeing community groups who are, who are thriving together and who are saying, oh, this is what Christian community is supposed to be. Wow. And I'm seeing students say, you know what? I don't care what everyone else around me is doing. I'm going to love Jesus. And I'm seeing this. And I'm seeing God stir up this passion inside of people and, and who truly say, you know, I want to be the body of Christ in our community. I want to do my part. And people are realizing their gifts and their purposes. I can declare all of that instead of living small and restricted with boundaries and brokenness. Now, if I'm going to be transparent with you and, and tell you about how I've been hurt, then I should probably be transparent and admit that I've done my, sh my fair share of Jacob-like behavior. And uh, your church staff, um, ministry board, um, team leaders, <laughs> my friends can attest to this for sure talking to Justin between services and you know, I was, you know we were saying if Justin and I two very strong personalities by the way if you didn't know who have served together for about 16 years if, if he and I did not seek forgiveness and reconciliation with each other when our strong personalities have clashed when we have hurt each other The porch wouldn't exist, and that might sound really egotistical. I don't. It wouldn't exist with us in it. It just wouldn't. I mean, can you sixteen years of of, of of line drawing and and brokenness? If you don't if you don't work on that, I mean, anyone who's married and wants to honor God with their marriage goes, you know, we we can't we can't keep building boundaries and we can't live in brokenness. We need to be people who are living in reconcilia reconciliation. So I'll say this. Listen, reconciliation should always be the goal, if at all possible, in any relationship you have. Reconciliation should be the goal. If it's a real, true, like God-given, like this is a good 
connection, a good relationship I have with this person. I don't care what kind of relationship that is. If it's that, reconciliation should be the goal. It shouldn't be just, hey, I want to have a great time. Or, wow, they're really awesome. Or, you know, what is reconciliation should be at the top of the priorities of your relationships if you want them to honor God. So what we do is we don't, we, let's not do what Jacob learned to do when hurt happened, whether he caused it or he felt like it was caused towards him. Because, yeah, he was scared when Esau wanted to kill him. But you know what? He stole the birthright from Esau. So, I mean, he kind of set himself up. We can't just do what Jacob learned to do. We can't run. We don't need to be drawing lines of, of boundaries. We don't need to let broken relations... We don't need to let broken relationships be normal. And I'm going to tell you how many of us are living like it's just normal to have a couple of broken relationships going on, like it's just the way it is. There's always that one person or a couple of people and things just aren't right. And hopefully enough time, I'll just kind of forget about it and move on. Or, you know, if they ever ever come and tell me they're sorry, then maybe we'll reconcile. But like how many of us are dealing like it's normal to have broken relationships? Reconciliation should always be the goal, if at all possible. Don't get comfortable being in broken relationship. Jacob got comfortable in broken relationship, and it became the way he lived. So here's the deal. If we would actually submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, then we would know that broken relationship is not how it's supposed to be. If we would actually submit to the lordship of Jesus and go, oh, you mean I'm not supposed to always be hating? I'm not supposed to always be mad? I'm not supposed to always be upset? I'm not supposed to always be like ashamed of how I acted? I don't know what to do now. It feels really weird. So I'm just like, no, that's not. We should submit to the lordship of Jesus. And listen to what Luke chapter 4 says. Because here's where we see Genesis in the gospel. This is where we find Jesus declaring who he is and what he has come to do to rescue us from broken relationships. And he says this in verse 18. He's in the synagogue. He's there at worship. And God's word is written down on a scroll, right? This is what they used. And so he's about to read something that they all know. It's from the Old Testament, of course, because there wasn't really New Testament yet, right? And so he's reading this, and it's very well known. And so he unrolls, unfurls, I don't know, the the scroll, and he he reads this to them. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, remember, I wanted this to be a mirror, talking about brokenness and boundaries, okay? How many of us have been living in relational poverty because of brokenness, okay? He has come to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released Small, restrictive boundaries that the blind will see. Oh, no, it wasn't mine. I didn't do that. That's them. It's on all on them. It's their fault. They need to come to me. What? The blind will see that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then this is like the scroll drop. Like he, he rolls up the scroll and he hands it back to the attendant and he sits down. And then it says this, all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently because they all know this passage. And they're like, why did you just, why, why'd you read that? Like, what are you, 
are they shocked? Are they kind of trying to make the connection on their own? Are they thinking this guy's nuts? We don't know. And then Jesus says this in verse 21. Then he began to speak to them and he says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And he meant he is the one who came to fulfill this. That promise of redemption, that promise of restoration, that promise that they had known about for a long time, Jesus stood before them and said, I am the answer to this. And so here's the deal. On this side of eternity, life can be different. Brokenness does not have to be the norm. This side of eternity, life can be changed. Hurts can be healed on this side, not just one day in the sweet by and by, but like right now, brokenhearted, like can be, it can be bound up and, and healed and brought back together. And those chains of restriction and small living and small landscape and boundaries, they can be set free, right? Right here, right now, because when, when did Jesus say that all this freedom would occur? When did he say? In heaven only? No. In the sweet by and by? No. Jesus said, this very day. Porch community, we all begin our lives in broken relationship with God. Every one of us. Because we are bent away from, from good. We're bent towards ourselves, and, and our actions follow that bend. Like we saw that in, in the first week in the garden. We saw it right there, that we follow that inclination, that sinful nature, and that's how we end up hurting a lot of people, and that's why a lot of people end up hurting us. This is why Jacob wanted to steal the birthright, because it was about him. We're all, we all start in broken relationship. And Jacob's entire life was defined by broken relationships and boundaries. And it is only through the person and the work of Jesus Christ that our lives are transformed. And that we can choose to, to live in healing instead of in brokenness. We can choose to live in redemption instead of, of I hate your guts. <laughs> Reconciliation. We can choose to live in freedom instead of all these boundaries. And so what I would ask you, I, I, would, I, I would hope is on your, it's been on your mind right now. I hope it will be for the rest of the day and into the, into the next week, especially as you go back and read these passages and see the brokenness that Jacob experienced. And as you look at these, the gospel uh, scriptures and see it as a mirror and ask God, God, what is the mo what's the relationship that most needs to be repaired right now in my life? Because I know for some people, it might actually be right there at the very beginning. Step one, Jesus. So there's been the brokenness with God, and you know it, and you've sensed it, and, and you've realized that, that there's not fulfillment, and that you need, like the idea of, of being forgiven is just foreign to you. And you don't think you've, you deserve it, and you don't. I don't. But Jesus offers it anyway. Jesus is the one who knocks down boundaries. He's the one that brings healing to brokenness. So maybe it starts there. But I also know it's very likely that it's, an act, it's a broken relationship with someone who's also living and breathing and walking on this earth right now. And, and maybe it's a relationship where you need to offer forgiveness and you need to initiate it. Or maybe it's an a relationship where you need to ask for forgiveness 
and you need to initiate it so we don't let those broken relationships define who we are any longer. I want to repeat a point I made a moment ago. I ask the band to come back out as we conclude our time together. There's the opportunity for reconciliation and redemption in most relationships. And there's the opportunity for repentance and forgiveness in most relationships. We see this in the gospel. This is the gospel according to Genesis. Let's pray together. God, we um, thank you that you... (laughs) You don't have, you don't set these things up. You don't, you don't set these boundaries up with us. You've come to give us life. You've come to reconcile with us. You've come to offer hope to the hopeless. That when our hearts are broken, you, you desire to mend them. You desire to bring wholeness and, and, and fullness to them. God, I pray that for any hard heart, stubborn heart, for any who have not even just have, have sat, maybe even sat here during the whole message, coming up with excuse after excuse for why the brokenness is there. God, would you move? Would your word be a mirror? And it would, it would show us our responsibility to seek reconciliation, to seek hope, to seek life. God, I I pray also, as we've talked so much about brokenness and boundaries, for those who have experienced those deep, deep hurt, abusive, toxic relationships with others, God, would you work your healing in those? The the necessity to ever see or be around that person doesn't have to be there, but God, that you would work so much healing in their lives that they would be able to stand before you and say, God, I'm not going to be defined by that brokenness anymore. I'm going to seek to live my life that honors you. And God, my hope is that one day I'll be able to offer the same forgiveness that you've offered to me. God, it's all about reconciliation. We don't want to live in that brokenness anymore. We thank you. Thank you for the possibility of life and hope that you bring in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.